0: Good to see everybody again. Good morning. morning. Thanks for making it. Um, Let's pray for our time together, and then we'll we'll dive in. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we lift this time up to you for Sunday school and the topic that we're going to be discussing. Lord, I pray that it resonates within our hearts. Lord, it's a tough issue today that we're talking about. Lord, help uh, the truth come across lovingly, and that we don't think of other people when we hear this, but ourselves first. And lo- Lord, let the, the word change our hearts and our minds and the way we think. Lord, we um, pray that this glorifies you and our time together in your name. Amen. All right. So, this morning, Um, In our series, The Glory of God in the Local Church, we're talking about contentment, um, a test of unity, contentment, and specifically contentment within the church this morning. All right, but we can think of other things in our life where there is a lack of contentment. Um, It could be marriages with your spouse. It could be relationships with friends. It could be um, you name it. With your kids, as a parent, as a child to your parent, um, it, it, but we have to focus today on in the church. Okay, I um, mean, if you want to re-listen to it later and with a different context in mind, please do. Um, but today we're talking about unity in the church and a contentment in the church. Okay, so though ultimately it is contentment, it is the contentment of God's people within the church that brings Him glory through their unity. Um, we will focus our time on the effects of discontentment this morning within the church. Discontentment is something we all struggle with at one time or another in our lives. And discontentment within the church can be particularly difficult. The reality is that those we love the most, who can, they, they hurt us the most. Amen? Um, it's the group for which we have the highest expectations, uh, the body of Christ, in which can let us down, can it? So can you recall the last time that you were deeply disappointed by another church member, either in this church or another? Um, Or think about the last time that you felt the church let you down? Uh, Maybe it's been months or maybe even years since you've joined a church and you still felt like an outsider. Or maybe the congregation was unconcerned about a particular priority that mattered a lot to you. Um, difficulties like these so easily lead to discontentment in our hearts and minds and how we respond to discontentment can uh, be a great enemy of our unity as a church or it can be an incredible force for good if we act biblically. In a moment we're going to talk more about how discontentment arises in the church but first I want you to think about how discontentment can be so damaging. There's two questions. What are some ways that our response to discontentment can harm the unity of the church. And another question is how can a good response to disappointment, disappointment, strengthen the church, right? So those are the two questions that we need to focus on and ask ourselves, what are some ways that our response to discontentment can harm the unity of the church and how can a good response to disappointment strengthen the church? So like all adversity, we know that God gives us the grace to work through discontentment and he intends it to serve his glory and our good. So how can we promote unity when we encounter discontentment in the church? And this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. So before we go further, let me offer a bit of uh, definitional clarity here. This, uh, today's class isn't going to address how we should respond to clear sin in the church, We'll consider that topic in a couple weeks when we talk about church discipline, Um, nor will today's class specifically address discontentment that comes from disagreement with leadership. We'll cover that question um, next week in our class on leadership. Instead, think of today's topic as sort of a mirror image of last week's class, where we thought about how we can grow in unity together through love for one another. Today we'll consider how we respond to aspects of our church that are not necessarily sinful and yet can be a cause of unhappiness um, and thus a potential source of disunity and discouragement towards one another. And it's worth pointing out that discontentment isn't always bad. Maybe you've been disappointed in a church because they don't engage maybe um, in a certain ministry like missions or outreach um, as much as you'd like. Um, That could be a godly discontentment, but we can still respond in a way that damages the church, right? So I'm going to begin with examining the negative effect uh, that discontentment can have on a church. And then we'll think through some ideas of how we should deal with uh, discontentment in a God-honoring way. And then we'll consider two specific categories of discontentment. Uh, Through this, my prayer is that we all would be better equipped uh, to work for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that we have with one another as we are commanded to do so in Ephesians. Amen. So first, in what ways can discontentment affect the unity of the church? And that's Roman numeral two in your bulletins, in your handouts. Bitter fruit from poor response to discontentment. We might define discontentment as a longing for something better than the present situation. There can be a godly uh, discontentment. We know for a fact that this world is broken by sin and should be better. But there can be sinful discontentment when, where we refuse to trust God's goodness and have gratitude for his provision, but instead demand more than he has ordained. I want to repeat that there can be sinful discontentment where we, where we refuse to trust God's goodness and have gratitude for his provision, but instead demand more than he has ordained. Isn't that the heart of the issue? Also, even if our discontentment is godly, we can still put our hope in circumstances instead of in God to make it better as well. And discontentment, even when spurred by godly desires, can bear bitter fruit if we respond in the wrong way. So let's look at three ways in which discontentment is, if not properly handled, can harm the witness of of the church. Number one, discontentment can lead to complaining and grumbling. Paul warns us in the book of Philippians, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things means all things. Um, and then he goes on to say that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And that's Philippians two fourteen and 15. Don't complain or grumble in anything ever. It's a tall order. That's what scripture says. Part of the way in which our witness should be compelling to the world around us is that we don't complain. Uh, We can also look at James chapter 5 verse 9. What that says is, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Another heavy one. When we don't properly address discontentment and it leads to grumbling, we damage one of the characteristics that makes us distinct as Christians, don't we? We harm the church witness. Number two says discontentment can lead to discord. When we're unhappy with something, we're tempted to talk about it, aren't we? Yes, no? We criticize, we rally support, right? We get others to hear us and agree with us, trying to get people to see things from our point of view. And no matter the virtue of our initial concern, this type of behavior can quickly cause factions and dissension within the church. Something that Paul lists alongside what that is. Paul lists that alongside idolatry, witchcraft, and fits of rage when he writes about the acts of sinful nature. Ouch. So that's Galatians 5.20 if you're taking notes. We must be careful to address discontentment because of the discord it can produce. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, discontentment distracts from what really matters. As individuals and as a church, our charge is to make the most of every opportunity, Ephesians 5.16. But discontentment consumes our time and attention, doesn't it? It saps the energy that we have. It monopolizes the time and attention of our brothers and sisters our elders and deacons, and it can distract it from what really matters. This is some of the bitter fruit that discontentment can bear in our life together as a church. But remember that discontentment can strengthen the body as well. When we respond in a way that is godly. When we submit to each other for the sake of Christ and do the hard work of love, right? Work is hard. Love is hard. We can bring great joy and glory to God when we respond in a godly way. We, we show that our unity doesn't rest on perfect agreement. Yes, it does not. Or compatible personalities. right? You, even in, in this small group here, we, don't, we have personalities that are not compatible. And then as we meet together throughout the week, and then on Sunday mornings as a bigger group, personalities clash. right? But who, who is our unity in? It's Christ alone. Amen. So, but our shared hope and satisfaction is in Christ. To see that in action, let's think about ways that we can address discontentment in a God-glorifying manner. And so numeral three on your handout um, says addressing discontentment in general. So how should we address discontentment? I'm going to offer uh, about four suggestions here. These aren't a to-do list or a formula, Um, as with any other area of the Christian life. What we need ultimately isn't a a list of steps, okay? Um, But to understand how the gospel of God's grace transforms the way we respond to discontentment, right? And that's a bullet point there. We want to be able to say, with Paul, I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. That's Philippians four eleven there. So we want to we want to be able to say that with Paul, and now let that sink in for a second. Is is what in whatever situation we are to be content, whatever situation. And so each of us are at different areas in our life, dealing with different people, different circumstances. Um, it's, it's it is a blanket statement. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And that's a, that's a tough one. Um, and we need to depend on God for that and His strength alone. Um, contentment is not a natural state for us. We tend to always want more. Material wealth can, e- uh, can ease your way of life, but what it cannot ease is anxiety, it cannot ease your attitude. Contentment can only be learned, in, and it can only be truly learned in Christ. True contentment we're talking about. Changing your circumstance will not affect our inner contentment, will it? It does not. The, that only happens through Christ. We all must learn the lesson of contentment. And, and these, are, these are the four ways that we're going to talk about then of applying good news of God's patience to to us so that we by his spirit and strength might be patient with one another. Okay. So a, first of all, is pray for God's mercy. First and foremost, the gospel tells us that we are unable to do anything of value in our own strength. And that includes responding to discontentment as well. Remember what Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So our first guideline is to pray and cry out for God's mercy, right? In each and one of our lives. It is foolish to think that, uh, that we're mature enough t- to address discontentment under our own power. When something about the church or someone in the church rubs you the wrong way, we have to understand we're about to enter into a spiritual battle. It, it, it's, it's hard to think about that during like when, you, when you're going through it, right? Uh, but when, when someone says something, it, and it could be in church, we're, we're focusing on, on the, the unity of church, but in life, when someone does something to you that you don't like, you're about to enter into a spiritual battle. So Satan wants to destroy us with what bitterness pride revenge and we can justify giving into temptation when we feel that we're in the right can't we does it matter if you're right if you're dishonoring god no we are willing to let relationships be destroyed in the name of pride but but hey at least you were right that's, that's, that's not God-honoring, is it? When we are unwilling to seek understanding and be patient with one another, things will always go poorly. Okay? So when you encounter discontentment, pray. Pray for God's mercy. You are waging a war that you can't win on your own. Pray that God would give you discernment and wisdom through his word Pray that God would identify any sinful desires in your own heart and replace them with godly ones. Pray that he would fuel your heart with the love of Christ. We would honor God far more if we tried to fix things, um, would we? We, we would honor God far, far more if we tried to fix things ourselves less often and spent more time in, des- in desperation pleading for God to fix us. Right? Which one honors him more? His coming before him or trying to do it on our own? Okay, second point, uh, letter B, examine your desires. Confess and repent of those that are sinful. So second, we need to examine our own hearts to understand the desires that are at the root of our discontentment. Where is there sin that we must confess? Where are there desires that should be satisfied in Christ, but, what we're, but that we're wrongly seeking to satisfy in comfort or in respect of others? So James writes in chapter 4 of his epistle, says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So that's chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. James gets right to the contention between discontentment and circumstances. We often feel discontent because we've put our hope in our circumstances rather than God. Is that not true? But circumstances change. God does not change, right? Where should our hope, where should our, our strength, where, where should our contentment come from? Something that does not change, which is God and God alone. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So is, is there a fight or a quarrel, maybe, in your life? Then there are ungodly desires in your heart that, that we all need to deal with, right? And again, we're focusing on ourselves. This is a tough topic, but thank God we have a son and there's mercies new every morning. Yes. And that we, we, we will mess up. We do mess up and we can wake up knowing that we're forgiven and we have strength in that. We have hope in that. Right. Okay. I know this is, this is a heavy topic, but it's, it's healthy. So for example, if we, if we have ungodly desires in our heart that we need to deal with, uh, maybe you're unhappy because some people are better friends with a particular member than you are. This happens. Um, well, that, what's at the root of that discontentment? It's because you feel that such friendships uh, convey a special status that you covet, maybe? Is it because you're jealous of a friendship that seems so close? So ask God to identify sin in your life and confess it as sin. Think hard about the root problem. What are the desires behind the emotions of discontentment? And there's a couple bullet points here um, in questions that we can ask. What are behind the desires and emotions of discontentment? Are you putting your hope in people's approval rather than in Christ's provision for you? The gospel declares that God's approval of you in Christ is sufficient. Are you frustrated that seemingly no one in the church understands your struggles and your desire to be heard? So what the gospel declares is that God sees you, God knows you, God forgives you, and he guides you. Are you discontent because you feel you deserve better treatment than you've received? Remember the gospel calls, the gospel call is to lay down your life and your rights for the sake of Christ. That's the second guideline examine your desires and repent, right? That's a tough one. Love you all. We're all we're all hopefully being chafed and sanctified together here. So C, letter C bullet point is see what others see other believers the way God does and this is going to help us greatly. So the third point is that we should strive to see the church and everyone in it the way God does. That means we should view others through the lens of love, not disappointment or suspicion. Again, the gospel is crucial here, beloved. It reminds us that in Christ, God has lavished his riches of forgiveness on us in spite of our own sin. Okay? So as we grow in the understanding of the depth of his grace and our hearts are filled with gratitude, we can begin to see other the way, others the way he sees them. As treasured saints whom he has washed, cleansed, and renewed. Just like yes, right? They are not our enemies, but our dear, dear brothers and sisters. And here's the point. Yes, this, they will misunderstand us. They will let you down. And you will let other people down. They will frustrate us. And they will disappoint us. But, but, because of Christ's sacrifice, God doesn't give up on them or withdraw from them, and neither should we. Amen? So how do we grow in viewing others not from a selfish, discontent perspective, but from God's vantage point? Um, There's a couple simple ideas here. First, is pray for others and love them in concrete ways. What does prayer do? It takes the focus off of self, which is where we don't want it to be. And we put it on Christ and we put it on others. When you're unhappy with someone in the church, pray for that person. Pray that God would prosper their desire for him. Pray that God would help you understand the worth that they bear at his, as his children. And the prayer should not be, Lord, help them see things from my perspective, and they will get it, and then there will be peace. Right? That's, that's our flesh. That's the way we want to pray. Um, but the prayer should be, Lord, help me and the other person to see our, our, ourselves and the situation through the lens of Scripture, through love, so that it sanctifies us and helps us become more like Christ. When you struggle together with somebody— and you come out on the other side, is that relationship stronger or weaker? Stronger, right? So, and express that concern in other forms of service for them as well. Send them an encouragement, encouraging email or a text. Call them and pray with them. Uh, maybe provide a physical need if that's what's needed. But choosing to love someone as an ex- is at an extremely practical level Um, can be one of the best ways to soften our own hearts in the midst of discontentness, right? Serving, choosing love, okay? And that's where we have to be careful to not let our feelings and emotions rule over us, right? But look at scripture and truth and what it tells us to do, right? And that grows our love for one another. So now you might be thinking, but if my heart is saying negative things inside while I say encouraging things on the outside, that's hypocrisy, So it's, it's not, and here's why disciplining yourself to work toward the good of another. Even when your feelings are telling you to do something else is part of what it means to persevere in love. As we talked about last week, right? Do you remember it can, and God can use that action then to change and warm our own hearts to gain that affection that is lacking right? It's, it's, it's an act of service. It's an act of love. And man, what goes on our, on our minds and our hearts, what we don't want to do, but versus what the Lord has called us to do, um, it's always better to do the latter. Right. All right. Second point, consider how much other people value, um, value to God. Consider how much value God puts on other people. In Philippians, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's Philippians 2.3. So why should you consider another church member as more significant than yourself? It is, because it, or is it because that they are more capable or more godly than you? No. It's because they are Christ's possession. He has bought them with his blood. They are precious in God's sight. Much selfish discontentment begins because we've elevated our worth and importance over those around us. Is that not true? Man, right? So, for example, let's say I'm impatient with someone because they never volunteer for anything at church. And my attitude is, how dare they consider their time more valuable than mine? Don't they realize how busy I am and yet I still serve? I would, it, I would be better. It would be better for me to refocus my concern away from the value of my time and toward the values of those Christians in particular. It would be much better. Christ gave his life for them. That's how turn, I will turn my thoughts from content, contempt to love. I may still talk with them about how serving in the church is a good thing for their own sake and for the sake of the body. And yet, Lord willing, my motivation will be for love, right? Not, not just coming down hard on somebody because they're not doing what I'm doing. That's, that's the wrong heart, right? Truth and love. So, and then fourth, uh, the, the letter D in your handouts is speak in love. So how you choose to share the specifics of your discontentment with others affects whether that discontentment spreads or subsides. So what should you talk about and how should you talk about it? So here's a few suggestions. Number one, it's a good practice to work through these things we've talked about so far, which are what? Prayer, first, examining our desires, seeing others as God sees them, so before we talk about that with them, before you speak with someone about your area of unhappiness, you want to go through those things first in your own heart, in your own life. So are you wanting to either confess sin or collaborate to encourage someone in the church? Right? Are you wanting to either confess sin to someone or collaborate to encourage that person in the church? If your conversation doesn't fall into one of those two categories, then it could be in danger of complaining or grumbling. So secondly, when you think it's good to talk with somebody, talk constructively about how you too can better serve the church. Simply using a conversation to let off steam or seek affirmation of your discontentment will likely spread that discontentment, won't it? The temptation to sin and anger can be really strong as well and something against which we should guard ourselves right? Not letting our emotions rule over us. So thirdly, recognize your responsibility as a church member. We'll talk about this more in two weeks, uh, but uh, suffice to say that Jesus in Matthew 18 lays it out pretty clear, uh, steps for dealing with sin in the church. And the first step is to confront the individual you suspect of sin. With very few exceptions, if you're talking with anyone else about that sin, then you are acting as a gossip and a slanderer. Sometimes people come to me with a concern about what someone else is doing and expect me as the elder to fix the problem. So with very few exceptions, my counsel is for the complaining person to go directly to that person, as the Bible prescribes in Matthew 18. Um, That's how things should work in the church. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about how church discipline happens often and regularly on that level, right? The the individual church member talking with another, right? And it doesn't need to proceed past that if there's repentance, right? And and that, that glorifies the Lord. And so fourthly, be careful how you speak about the issue publicly. Some things in the church are unclear and unimportant. Others are important, but unclear. That's where you need the elders. If something is both important and clear that the divinity of christ the authority of scripture then speaking publicly is potentially a good thing of course you want to get counsel on this ahead of time but you know both from the elders and from the leaders you respect outside the church possibly but if it's not in that category of both serious and clear from scripture um, you should probably shouldn't speak publicly about it so again, our four guidelines for addressing discontentment is pray first. Understand your desires and repent of what is sin and see other, others as God sees them. And then fourthly, speak in love, right? Speak not to stir up discontentment or to stir up strife, but to speak to glorify God and speak in love um, and go to that brother in truth, but with love. It's very important. So Roman numeral number four, specific areas of discontent. So in the rest of our time, uh, I'd like to get even more practical in discussing how we should address three common situations in the church that cause discontentment. First is the church isn't meeting my needs. That's one of the popular ones. So one specific area of discontentment is that we can often feel that the church isn't meeting my needs. However common this might be, we need to recognize it for what it is. A selfish demand that the church serve me. But we've talked extensively extensively in this course about the reason for, um, for church. And it is not ultimately to surround us with social relationships in which we find fulfillment. Its, its ultimate purpose is to what? Glorify God by showing off his power in a diverse community of united, loving believers. So to fight this form of discontentment, we need to learn that we're not the most important thing, God is. And our natural desire is me, me and me, right? And we need to learn where true joy comes from. Unlike how the world thinks joy And the Christian life doesn't come from being a consumer of blessing, but being a giver of blessing. The point of the church isn't to have our needs met. The church is a living organism where we invest ourselves to meet the needs of others and build them up in Christ. Do you agree with that? We will receive blessing from others who love and serve Will, will we receive blessing from others who love and serve and teach us? Yes. Will there be times when, we, when we're weak, where we simply can't serve anyone else, and we're dependent on the love of others? Yes. But our normal posture toward the body is to, is to seek ultimate joy by laying down our lives for the joy of others. Sacrificial love. Right? And who models that the best? Christ. So secondly, uh, the church has disappointed my expectations for fellowship and growth is another popular one. So second, though we might desire to serve Christ selflessly, but still feel a lingering disappointment with the way things are in the church. A lack of fellowship or feeling you don't belong or a lack of growth. Uh, Maybe you've been a member of a church for several months or even years. And you're finding it difficult to make good friends. Maybe you want to serve, but no one seems to recognize it, or you you can't serve in the way you feel most gifted. Um, How do we deal with that type of discontentment? Well, following the pattern we established earlier, we should approach situations like this with prayer. We should search our hearts, our own hearts, and determine whether these feelings stem from a selfish or ungodly desire. We should ask the hard questions, are there things that I need to do differently to experience better fellowship in the church or take advantage of the opportunities that are there to, that I can grow in? We should ask that of ourselves and of others that, that we know and trust, that we love, and we respect their counsel, and we need to receive that counsel and their input as well. And then we should pursue uh, appropriate action steps. This might involve talking to a pastor to get his thoughts on what you should do. If you're struggling to make relationships, I can say that there are likely many other people feeling the same way. So I'd encourage you to take the initiative and reach out to other people. Um, be a friend to them. Be a friend first, right? Instead, instead of expecting people to come to you. Um, I know that's hard for some people. Some people aren't as social. They're they're more introverted, um, but choosing to love and choosing to serve the body and choosing to be a friend to somebody is an act of love Uh, god can satisfy your uh your good desires but he sometimes does so in a way different than we have planned isn't that true (laughs) be ready for god to answer your prayers in ways that you do not expect them to happen okay your idea of how your prayers should get answered is not always correct Thank you, yes, because that happens to me. Um, so, and and let me add one more thing on this. Uh, much of what this battle entails is, is training our minds to understand that many benefits and blessing that God has in his kindness given us in the church, is given us in the church. Many of his benefits and blessings come from the church. So pray that God would train us to see all the blessings he has given us in, in this church and that this, and that will greatly affect our heart and attitude in our areas of discontentment. Um, I will say gratefulness is one of the best remedies for discontentment. Seeing what you can be grateful for in your life. If, if you can't see anything in your life that you can be grateful for, um, we, we need to have a conversation. Um, there's so much. I, and it, And this goes, you can look at throughout history and so many different aspects in men and women who have dire circumstances, um, their life is on the line, their missionaries uh, hiding because of their faith and they're yet still grateful and joyful um, and content with the situation that the Lord has them in. Uh, We are not experiencing that. Uh, I don't think any of us ever have, but being grateful will cure discontentment. So third is dislike of church members. Um, Not everybody's going to like each other. I know it's shocking. (laughs) Um, So another cause for discontentment is simply dislike of other people, of other church members specifically. And maybe it's an issue of envy or rivalry. You resent the blessings that God has lavished maybe on someone else instead of you. Or maybe it's just a basic feeling of discomfort. Um, Someone behaves in a way that is... uh, different from what you're accustomed to or someone works for an organization or a company that you loathe, right? Uh, I mean, it could be anything. How do you work through discontentment in areas like that? Again, let's you follow the pattern that we've established. Pray that God would change your heart, confess any sin to God and seek his forgiveness. Recognize that a desire not to love someone is sin. It's not something that we can brush aside as merely mere incompatibility. That's, that's not the answer. Um, Learn to pray for people whom you dislike. Oh man, that is another remedy for discontentment Um, that God would bless and mature them. What if you start praying good things for them spiritually, right? Not that they would prosper and have all this money, but Lord work on their heart, work on my heart. Help them grow in your love and your grace and your mercy. Help them be a great father or, or a mother. Help them be a, a, a spouse that honors Christ and, and lifts their spouse up and points them to Christ. Right, that'll that that that'll change your heart attitude. Um, so lear, learn to pray for people whom you dislike, that, that God would bless and mature them. Consider that these individuals though broken and imperfect today are being transformed into Christ likeness with ever increasing glory. Loving those whom we find uncomfortable isn't easy, but as members of the church, it's hugely important because it's, it is through those types of relationships that God is most glorified. Is that, is that not true? It is. So in conclusion, at the root of discontentment is the idea that things would be better if some person or situation was simply change someone else. But that is precisely why we must put our hope in God and not our own circumstances. So praise God that we don't have to cling to the weak and temporary hopes of this world. He has given us himself as our anchor. He is sovereign over our circumstances. He was sovereign when Noah was being mocked, when Joseph was in the pit, when Israel was in slavery, when David was being hunted, and when Christ was on the cross, he was still sovereign. His goodness always prevails, and in him we can find the joy of true contentment. Amen? Um, Is there any questions before we wrap up? good. We're all content. <laughs> um, so I know it's a tough subject, uh, but looking at the truth of scripture through love and loving one another um, is, is the remedy for discontentment. The gospel is the remedy. Praying for others, um, humility and gentleness, all of those things are important, okay? Um, let's pray and we'll wrap up. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your grace and your mercy as we are all blood bought sinners. That we can trust in your word, that we are forgiven, that we can wake up and know that you have mercy on us and that we can find strength in you. Lord, when we sin, please help us to run to you instead of away, that we run to you for forgiveness, that we know that you will love us in spite of ourselves. Lord, help us not defeat ourselves in our own minds uh, with that truth, Lord. Help us to remember and know what Christ has done for us and who we are in Christ. Lord, I pray that we pray for one another continually. If we have an issue with somebody, Lord, that we go to that person in love and examine our hearts first as well. We thank you for this topic. We thank you for the unity that's in this church, and I pray that you continue to grow it and help it flourish. Lord, and help us to be each examples of that unity towards one another. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.